Well, Brian, thanks. Thanks again for joining. Looking forward to having you on. I know uh, we, we got to actually meet in person in Phoenix, which was awesome. So yeah. excited that we can now sit down and do this. We can kind of talk through some of the more strategic things uh, that you've been working on and that you've seen through your career. So I'll let you introduce yourself really quickly and then and then we'll jump on into to our, our topic today. Yeah, definitely. Uh, my name is Brian Brobstein. Um, I uh, live in Phoenix, Arizona, and I work for a company called Any Road, where I run our revenue enablement and strategy. Um, and I'm sure we'll spend some time talking about what that actually means. Oh, we definitely will. We definitely will. Well, thanks again for for coming on. Excited. Yeah. So obviously, as you know, the the theme and topic of you know voices of enablement is economic headwinds happening, reductions in workforce, budget cuts, not a lot of hiring going on. How has that changed the role of enablement in in organizations? And because of that change, how do we also elevate enablement in an organization? Because typically we are seeing the the most affected by these budget cuts and reductions in workforce are support staff. And unfortunately, I think in a lot of organizations, enablement can kind of fall into that support staff. It's not, and we'll definitely cover that, but I think it tends to be seen as, as more of a supportive role. And so really today is just to, to allow you space to kind of talk through how do we elevate enablement in organizations despite what's going on. So again, looking forward to have you. And I guess to kick it off, the, the best way that we can do this is Tell us, how, how do you elevate enablement in an organization where leadership maybe doesn't see you as a strategic function just quite yet? It's a great question and, and, and something that, get, that I get asked a lot. Um, and the answer would be different uh, depending upon you know, the size of your organization, mm. the maturity of your organization, um, and a variety of variables. But let's just kind of stick with that, is that uh, I often think about this kind of binary of breadth and depth in your skill set or in your job description. And specialists often focus on depth, right? Um, how, how skilled, how um, invested am I in your kind of prototypical deliverables associated with enablement, right? And I imagine the audience for this kind of a conversation is typically people that are in enablement that can identify with those things, right? Like they know what the core deliverables and KPIs are, or maybe not, we can talk about that. Um, but when I when I say I, I say breath is that you know when you don't carry a quota and you're not revenue generating, you've got to think about how your expertise, either mm -hmm. historical or within the organization that you are currently um, engaged with, can apply to other functions. Um, product marketing being one of them. Um, you and I had a lengthy conversation about that. Yeah, um, yeah. When we saw each other. Uh, another one is is like uh, channel partnerships. Um, when you think about mm. like partnerships and integrated partnerships, finding ways to generate revenue outside of kind of the traditional go-to-market motion, um, looking at things like that may or may not in large organizations fall into like revenue operations or revenue strategy is looking at trends within your uh, CRM or prospecting tool, right? Your uh, data visualization, business intelligence tools to see like, where where can we go? What can we do? that's different than what we're doing today. It's kind of being a change maker in a sense where you can come up with like a business plan that says there's a gap in what we're doing today. Here's what that gap is. And here is a, a, a strategy to fill that gap. I love that. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I, I said this recently and you just reinforced the same idea that I, I said, and I'm curious if you've ever thought about this. Mm -hmm. You're like a sales rep just internally. You're like identifying, <laughs> you're like, yes, I know. You're like identifying problems and you're trying to create solutions for those problems. But in order to get approval to do the solution, you're having to build business plans. You're having to engage with stakeholders. You're having to do, you know, 
like actual sales process and sales methodology in order to get this stuff done. So I'm curious, how do you, do you think about that? First of all, as like an, an enablement lead looking for buy-in in these different programs and who are you typically partnering with? Yeah, I, I would say that 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 sentiment of like I'm in sales and I'm selling internally internally always. So a couple things to unpack there. One is that that is true for every single person at every single business everywhere in the world. So and true. as soon as you adopt that, it will have a significant impact on your career. So um, true. It's good. I often, as someone that does go to market enablement or revenue enablement, like the breadth of my audience, going back to breadth, right? It's not sales, right? Yep. Or people that have a title that is associated with quota carrying, you know, uh, a, a, a target attainments, right? KPI driven. Those things are absolutely true. And people that aren't in that world often um, will look at the enablement materials and see it as having a sales bias. Mm. And one thing that I often will do is before I present some materials into the folks that don't have those kind of uh, that job description and say, here's what you're going to think throughout this presentation. You're going to think this is a sales presentation. You're going to think that these are sales skills. You're going to think that it's not applicable to what your day-to-day responsibilities are. And I can't emphasize this enough. You're wrong. Mm. Your life is predicated on these principles. And I even just went through this kind of like diatribe around your career. Let's talk about your personal life and your relationships, yeah. right? Your partner, your kids, right? Will and I were just kind of commiserating over parenting a moment ago. And yeah. like these skills that you and I talk about as sales skills are people skills. So and true. You need to sell internally. You need to manage people. How about someone that manages a team of 12 and you're trying to get them to adopt a new concept. You're trying to get them to use a new tool. You're trying to get them to charge collectively towards a, a, a specific goal. Like you're, that's all, all you're doing is selling, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's, the whole, that's the whole job. So what is that, uh, Daniel Pink, to sell as human? So true, right? So true. I love that. Um, So let's talk about this a little bit. Let's get a little bit more specific because I really like this. You're kind of saying, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it's enablement is more of a generalist role in a lot of ways. Like I am, you're saying, I'm thinking about how can I impact revenue in multiple facets, not just the traditional like sales facet, like partnerships and, you know, maybe even customer success is probably something that you thought about quite a bit or or, or actively working on. so how do you how do you help an organization see the value of revenue enablement, especially during the, the economic times? How do you how do you help them see, look, this this is an extremely valuable part for us to be successful. And these are the things that I'm going to do specifically to work with these individual functions to drive more business. So give me give me a sense of what are the, some of those kind of tactical or specific things that you've done or are doing um, currently at any road, just so our audience can kind of get a sense of maybe what are some of the things they should be doing? Yeah, um, man, like some specific examples. First and foremost, it's all about cross-functional collaboration, right? Particularly when you're a team of one. You know, I've worked in organizations where you have a team of 15 that are categorically in the enablement function, um, which is great, right? If you have those resources at your disposal, if you have a curriculum designer, um, if you have folks that are specialists in working with the business development team versus AEs or AEs versus CSMs, awesome, right? Yeah. Um, that specialization is going to benefit you and the organization to the nth degree, right? Like yeah. be an expert. However, like most businesses, particularly in this macroeconomic climate, don't have uh, that at their disposal, right? Like it's often one person. The ratios are, are, are getting even bigger in terms of support mechanisms to your point. And like, do you generate revenue? Yes or no. And like that binary actually translates to how valuable to are you to the organization? Um, love it or hate it. That's kind of our reality. Yes. Yeah. And uh, 
you've got to find a way to draw some correlation between the work that you do and a PL, right? Sure. So if if you can, as an enablement professional, right, like start to assess. And that's the cool thing about being an enablement, that you're so closely tied to the folks that are in the weeds, right? Yeah. Is that you are a conduit, you are the voice. Um, that can advocate and champion for like, here's what we're hearing. Here's what we're seeing. I live and breathe and gong all day, every day. Right. Yeah. I not say other technologies. Of course you can. You know, conversational intelligence tools, regardless of what yeah. it is that you are using, um, you get to hear what your teams are saying, what they're hearing, uh, the challenges that they face. Uh, and not only as it relates to doing their day-to-day -day, uh, job, but also how easily they're overcoming challenges with pro product and feature requests with, yeah. um, you know, uh, objections that are associated with the competitive landscape. And like, as these things start to unravel, you can escalate and advocate and create as it relates to solving those problems. Um, so some examples, you know, let's get into the weeds. Um, organizations that find their sweet spot with an ICP and target personas often go deep into those and find a lot of success. Now, at some point, you hit this kind of tapering effect as you saturate that market and determine like, where do we go next, right? Yeah. Who's a different persona that we should go after as it relates to their title and their skin in the game relative to the problems that we solve? Or what other segments, mm -hmm. industries, geographies, yeah. um, and how do you assess those things, right? Like, so how do you, as, as someone that's involved in enablement, you're enabling inbound BDRs. So you have some visibility into the types of businesses that are coming through the inbound funnel, right? And looking at some trends associated with that. Um, you're looking at the opportunity creation, right? And the different sources, whether it's BDR sourced, whether it's inbound, whether it's AE sourced, whether it's channel partner sourced, and looking for some trends. And as you start to identify those trends, it's saying, okay, well, only 5% of our pipeline is associated with this particular cohort, but should it be 10%, 15%? What's this serviceable market within that category? And saying, how do we experiment mm -hmm. in that category and use our current messaging, our current content and collateral? Um, how much do we have to iterate on that messaging, that content collateral, the social proof that we would use, right, to kind of create that yep. uh, relatability? And whatever is adjacent or, or, or kind of uh, related to intersecting kind of in this idea of we do great work for fill in the blank, where else can we go? And I think enablement is uniquely positioned to help move that forward. Dude, I love this. I could geek out on this forever. This is, this hasn't been talked about yet. So <laughs> you're pioneering this conversation right now. Sounds very sales ops, rev ops, yeah. but not, Fully, right? It's like this like perfect in-between where you're brokering sales to RevOps or uh, sales to product marketing even because you're talking about new messaging and new positioning, you know, new new use cases and case studies and things like that. That's obviously very marketing. So what I what I hear is you can't just be a trainer, right? Like there's a part of there's a part of that, right, where you're coaching and training, but you also have to be much more business strategy, much more sales operations, much more again, RevOps, where you're thinking holistically about what's the next opportunity for us as a business. Yeah. And then I'm, I'm assuming from there, you kind of have to project manage that, right? Like, do you become the project manager when you start to identify this is a new opportunity in a market or, or a new segment or vertical or geography or some of the things you named, you kind of become the project manager, right? 
I think so. Depending upon your personality traits, right? Like uh, certain certain folks that are in an enablement role maybe aren't necessarily comfortable like corralling all of the cross-functional stakeholders that are mm -hmm. responsible for maybe a, a, a new go-to-market strategy. And, you know, it really just comes down to, are you a key contributor? Are you a, mm -hmm. a stakeholder or are you an owner? And I think dependent upon, again, your personality traits and also the resources that you have at your disposal. You mentioned that this kind of sounds RevOpsy. But do you have RevOps at your Good company? Good point. Good, right? point. Good um, point. I have taken, I've had the role at a previous company where I was RevOps slash enablement. And so I had to own both of those things. And that's that's the cool thing about, like, I think my background or my career, like what, why I, lo I will love what I do is that there is a fluidity to it, particularly at startups mm -hmm. where like I've worked places that have no presence of product marketing. So you become product marketing along with enablement. They 100%. have a single RevOps person that essentially is your Salesforce admin. And that's a full-time job, right? Like mm -hmm. taking on responsibility and how you build out things like sequences in outreach or flows in another prospecting tool, right? Like whose job is that? It can't, is it RevOps? Is it marketing? Is it sales yeah. leadership? But there's that connective tissue that like I can get the feedback from our marketing team. I can get the feedback from our sales leadership. But most importantly, the thing that is a huge belief system of mine, um, I learned this from one of my you know, mentors is like, it's all about peer education. It's all about bottoms up enablement because I can say a lot of things, you know, you're a sales leader and you can tell your teams, we're going to do this. We're going to be successful at that. Here's what we're going to try. Here's what we're going to adopt. Here's the evolution of the business. And unless your top performer is on board and doing those things, no one's going to do it. So okay. a big part of enablement is creating internal champions for business evolution. Yeah. I mean, this is another topic I, I love because I asked, I asked most people this when we talk, when we're talking about like the strategy side, which we, we can get into a little bit more in, in a minute, but like, you know, you're in the trenches and you're building these programs or you're, you know, rolling out certifications or you're, you know, hosting the, like a, you're building out a new sales methodology and you're hosting, you know, seminars and training courses on that or whatever it is. That's all great. But like, do, do your sales reps want to do that? Are, are you getting buy-in from your sales reps? Because I think that is probably the hardest part, right? I'd imagine. And you said something very interesting to that, which is if I can get the top performers in the business to buy into it, at least a little bit enough, then everyone else will probably follow suit. And I 100% agree with that. Mm -hmm. But it's it's tough, right? It's tough. Like, how, how do you, how do you, I, I identify the top performers and then figure out a way to get them involved. Do you try to get them involved before you roll it out and yeah. give them like a stake in it? I feel like that probably helps a little bit. What, what's your, what's your process for that? Like you're rolling out something new. You want to get top performers. What do you do? You got to, uh, first and foremost, it's, 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 it's top down from a buy-in perspective first, right? When I say top down, I mean like leadership has to be on board. Yes. That this is something that we're going to endorse. We're going to champion and we're going to hold people most importantly accountable to it. Um, because no matter how exciting it is, or even like the, the end user, the audience that you have for this evolution is, would be like, this is awesome. Like change management is hard, right? Very, uh, yeah. and, and people that are super interested in something, if it's not in their, you know, like cliche stuff, but like, if it's not in the top three things that they're focused on at any given time, it's not a priority for them ever. So what I like to think about is. First and foremost, you get that kind of buy-in um, and commitment from your leadership, your go-to-market leadership organization to say, we are going to advocate, endorse, and hold people accountable. Then it's understanding, like, who are your champions and who are your snipers? So your champions are those people that have a growth mindset. They're scrappy. They're the ones that are going to look at, like, a new approach and be like, I have nothing to lose. I'm going to try right. these things and see how it goes. And 
if you can, and you say like, how do you identify your top performers? They're the top performers. The great thing about sales at the very least, when we're talking about that cohort of a, of a revenue team is like, who's generating the most revenue, who's closing the most deals. And those are the people that you need to, at the very least have as part of your instructor-led trainings, contributing to the thought leadership in sessions and potentially pulling them in beforehand and having them contribute to the content, right? Um, what slides can they present during your yep. sessions? I think that's big. It's huge. That's big. It's huge. Yeah. Um, so that's a big part of it. Um, and then it's a little bit of the wizard behind the curtain in that, like, if you can get people to start trying things and it's working, right? Mm -hmm. In an ideal world, that's what happens. It actually works. Yeah. yeah. That you don't even need to revisit it because they're going to tell their friends who tell their friends. It's like that scene in Wayne's world where that just becomes the Brady, Brady Bunch screen. <laughs> and they tell their friends and then they tell their friends. And then that's how a trend starts. So that's, that's the goal. Um, cause you know, I think most adult educators know the statistic that less than 15% of what you present in an in instructor led classroom will be retained and an even yep. smaller percentage will be put into practice. Oh yeah. So it's really, really important for you to identify like, what are the major priorities? What's the, what are the North star changes that we're going to mm -hmm. implement within the organization and, uh, how comfortable are we that the remainder of the list is going to be an afterthought. Yep. Very good. This is very practical. I like, I like this a lot. This go get executive leadership first because projects don't start from the bottom. They have to start from the top, which is true in sales. I'm, I'm learning that more and more every single deal cycle that I run is mm -hmm. if your executive didn't tell you this is a priority, we probably shouldn't talk much longer. Yeah. <laughs> this is probably not going to happen. Yeah. Exactly what you're describing. And then in order to roll that project out, I got to get buy-in from the bottom so I can get it up. I love it. I love it. Um, so let's talk about this a little bit because I think this this segments really well into okay, there is no hiring really. I mean, some organizations are still hiring, but you know, for the most part, most of our listeners are probably not in an organization that are actively hiring sales reps or revenue reps in general. It doesn't have to be sales reps. So how does that change what you focus on? Because I'd imagine a lot of your focus when times are booming is I got to get these people ramped, I got to get them actually hitting quota. And so a lot of your time is spent on onboarding, not all of it, obviously, but a good portion of it, that's gone, right? Let's all intents and purposes, that's pretty much gone. So now what are you focusing your time on and how are you actively building out enablement programs, if you will, uh, for your revenue functions? I would say that it's actually quite misguided that most companies that are doing some hyper growth hiring uh, allocate most of enablement's time on the new hire experience. Mm. And you're nodding emphatically. And I'm curious why you think that that's true. Because I don't think it should be either. Why? Why? Because, well, A, I mean, you, you said it pretty profoundly just a moment ago. People are going to forget at least 75% of the stuff that they're going to learn in onboarding, right? At least 75% of that stuff. And as a sales rep or any rep coming into a new business, there is so much for me to learn. We, we used to have the slide talking about, it was like a, like a, um, almost like a word bubble. And the middle was the brain. And it was all of these things that you you have to try to cram into a rep's brain during onboarding. And it's like, you know, legal, pricing, product, objections, plus all of your company culture and profit. Like it's uh, so much information, right? So to spend an entire well-paid resource doing that work for it to be forgotten in a month seems a little silly, right? Yeah. What's maybe more important is can I take that resource and actually use them at different intervals in my rep's tenure to drive this like reinforcement behavior, right? You said something also profound a minute ago, which is very true as a sales rep my entire career. I'll go and sit in a seminar that I hate, right? For three days, have the sales trainer come in and teach us all this stuff. I've heard it all, I've seen it all. Yep. 
And it's like, okay, he said maybe three or four things, or she said maybe three or four things that I remember. And like, did I put it into practice? I might've tried it once or twice. If it didn't work, see you later. Right. And we spent three whole working days, no telling how much money on that particular seminar. When in fact, if you could have just, I don't know, helped me with a certain cold call right before I jumped on it or helped me with demo preparation right before I jumped on a demo, way more effective, way more effective. So that, that's kind of how I view it as well. I think it's, it, there's a place for it. You have to have it. You have to onboard reps and you have to reduce ramp time, but I don't think it's as critical as people think it is. Yeah. So my, my perspective is that it's, um, it's a bit antiquated to think about mm-hmm. this like uh, VAC learning. And so it's visual, auditory, and kinesthetic learning. Like, I, I think that's been slightly debunked in this day and age, yeah. given like how saturated we are with like visual stimulation and all these things. But I, I still am a big proponent of that adults learn by doing. Adults 100%. learn by failing um, and figuring out how they can get better through those failures, right? Failing forward. A lot of people say that. And if you're thinking that a classroom session, whether it's, you know, virtual or live, um, recorded, right, could be asynchronous learning where you send them gong calls to listen to, which I strongly believe in, yeah. um, or, or recorded trainings or quizzes or certifications or checkouts. All these things are necessary. But the reality is, is like, I'm going to give you a series of leads to call that are low risk for the business. I love this. God, we could talk about and this And I want you to just call them. And yeah. I want you to figure out your pitch. And then at the end of the day today, we're going to sit down and we're going to say, like, what happened? What did you learn? What are you going to do different? Mm-hmm. Now give me your pitch, right? Now that you've done it 15 times in front of someone that told you no, right? Yep. Right? Uh, so th- those, those types of experiences um, create memorable learnings, right? Mm-hmm. Practical learnings. And for the people that truly have a growth mindset that are looking to get better, they're the ones that are going to look at that uh, methodology of, of, of teaching and growing as the way by which they're going to actually change their, their core competencies, right? Because I think that there's this, there's this, 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 I always say like being successful is about being competent. Yes. Right. Like, are you competent in what you do? But also it's about confidence. So like, I, I'm one of those people where if you said, like, I need you to do this thing. I know you've never done it before. And I will fake, but exude a level of confidence. And I, I, want, to say fake, I want to say fake it. I don't just mean externally. I convince myself that I can do it. And then I try it. And if I do well, great. If I don't do well, I learn from the experience and I move forward. So you need like enablement also goes all the way back to like the candidate profile and the hiring experience. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm on interviews with candidates to True. assess a lot of that, right? Because you can have somebody that comes in with a decade's worth of enterprise level experience where they've closed millions of dollars in in revenue and you bring them into an early stage venture-backed founder-led startup and you say, be scrappy. And they're going to be like, what is that? Marketing generated leads. (laughs) It's true. I've seen it a thousand times. So there's so so good. I mean, it goes back all the way, like the candidate experience, right? And how involved is enablement and creating some of the necessary or communicating, not creating, but like contributing to the traits that we're Mm -hmm. looking for in our revenue organization, right? You know, when you think about a CSM and do they manage great relationships? I hope so, because that's like the core competency of the job. But can they do a gap analysis? Can they better understand where there's revenue opportunities so that they can involve an AE and say, hey, you need, you got an upsell over here that you didn't know about. That's very good. Yeah, you know, the, the, I'm going to go back to the bit about, um, you know, your reasoning why you feel like it's maybe a little over-indexed um, on onboarding in a lot of organizations. I, I'm, I'm a trained educator, obviously not in education anymore, but that's what I went to school for. 
secondary education uh, taught for years. Terrible. It's a whole other topic we can talk about at some point. Um, but anyways, in my education theory classes, I remember things that stood out to me were this this one stat stood out to me the most. It's not a foolproof stat, but it is. It's it's a pretty good um, framework to live by, and it's the seventy twenty ten model, which is you know seventy percent of learning happens through experience, 20% socially, 10% formally. And I feel like everyone for some reason like has heard that and they're like, yeah, I agree. But then when it comes time to put something into practice, like some sort of training into practice, it always ends up being this like formal course. Right. And, then, and, and the people on the receiving end are going, dude, this sucks. It feels like compliance. This sucks. Yeah. Like I don't want to do this. So I love how you're saying, okay, let's create a space where our reps can actually experience and it not really impact the business that much. It's actually way better for them to fail in these moments and learn from their failure than what sort of benefit we would have gotten if they didn't. Yeah. I think that's huge. Huge. You just used a phrase that I use a lot to describe what it is that I do. And you said create space, creating yeah. space for learning, right? And often we feel like we're just moving too fast. We're focused on our goals. Um, you know, it's outcome oriented, particularly in sales, even oh, with yeah. CSM, speedy yeah. ours definitely. And yeah. it, depending upon which, where, where in the kind of customer journey you come in, like it can, it can feel very, there's, there's a lot of pressure. There's, uh, you know, goals that you have to hit KPIs and it turns into like, where do I find the time to grow? Well, some, some of being an enablement is blocking and tackling the time, the resources, um, yeah. space that's necessary for, for, for learning. And if it's putting time on calendar, um, if it's sharing an article, um, if it's sending a recording, um, making comments inside of a gong call, right. And saying like, Hey, check this out. Like those things seem trivial in nature, right? Like anyone can do that regardless of where you come from or who you are or what your title is. Yeah. But like fortunate enough to be my responsibility to do those things. And I think that too often we think that it's synonymous to say tra tra say training is the answer when it's really coaching is the answer and it's individualized coaching it's like what are your what are your learning objectives we have these slides that we put together in enablement that say here's the title slide the topic that we're going to be going over the next slide is like the agenda and the learning objectives and we're telling you what your learning objectives are that seems a bit myopic to say like you you should learn this when in reality it's like well what do you want to take away from this learning experience Mm -hmm. And if it's nothing, log off. Correct. Yeah, <laughs> that's like, fine. It sounds, it sounds like a cold-hearted, I would use different words, but like, it sounds like a cold-hearted thing to say, but I don't want to waste your time. And like, it's not a waste of my time. I'm going to do this regardless, but I, I don't want to waste your time. So like, if you, if you feel like you either know this or it's not applicable to your role, right, it's up to you and ultimately your direct manager, your leader to say you are opting out and that's fine. I think continued education, right. And I'll, I'll juxtapose like the word training with education, continued education is, uh, to use another cliche, it takes a village, right? Oh yeah. It, the direct manager has to be heavily involved. Um, training and enablement needs to be heavily involved. Um, executives need to be aware and contributing in some capacity, at least providing like endorsements and yep. such. So th those are really, really important. And, and I think core competencies of being in traditional enablement, right? Instructional trainings, deck creation, collateral, um, you know, all of the things that come along with like being a, an educator, like traditional, traditional educator. But, you know, I'm sure being in traditional education, if you're not working with kids in, in, in that particular case, one-on-one, -on -one, 
that's a problem, right? If you're not working with, you know, your audience one-on-one, it's a problem. Yep. Just like I heard a couple of people say this. I really like this. Uh, this like customized coaching is kind of the, the concept that I've, that I've kind of trademarked it. It's like customized for this rep based on their learning needs. Yeah. How they learn, right? What are their gaps, right? Did they self-assess those gaps? I think, I think that's a big piece of this. If we, if, if we can all figure out a way to make reps a little bit more self-aware and like, there's a humility in that, which is really difficult. Cause like, you don't, you, you don't want reps constantly questioning themselves, but you definitely want them to be more aware of where they could grow. Right. Um, Cause I think confidence is a big piece for, you know, sales reps in general too. Like what the best sales reps I know are really the most confident ones. And I think that's a really good trait, but when it, when it gets to the point where they feel like they know everything, then, then you don't want to work with them, right? They're not fun to work with. They're not fun to be around. So there's a balance there, but those that like self-assessment, I think is really, really good. And then I think you said something that was really interesting as well about getting the sales managers involved because as a, as a sales rep myself, that sales manager carries so much weight in for my job, right? Like what they say to leadership, it could be the difference between me having this job and not, right? Yep. And I know that every sales rep knows that. So like, am I a brown noser to my sales manager? Maybe sometimes actually, like I fill out my CRM data because I, they make me, I hate it, but they make me. If, if there is a collaborative effort between them and enablement, and we've identified this is what Will needs, and my manager and the enablement team is on the same page, they are going to consistently evangelize to me that I better get over there and do that and get better at this because we've identified it as, as a, a chance for opportunity yeah. that I'm going to invest, right? Because now I have multiple people telling me. Yeah. I think it's a really, really, really good point. Not something I've, I've really thought about, not something I've really talked through, but I, I really like that. It's a good call out. This like collaboration, not just between enablement and product marketing, which I've talked about a lot, but this enablement, this, this collaboration between enablement and sales leadership or sales management is a really good call. I think one thing that you said that really resonates with me is, is this like honest self-assessment mm-hmm. and the necessary vulnerability that people need to have to say like, I'm not good at, or I can be better at, um, and I'm going to try something new because um, it really takes some like, uh, like a high emotional quotient, right? Like for you to yes. like really settle into like there's not only opportunities to improve. And I think that anybody, if asked, would say, of course, I'm not perfect. Of course, I have opportunities to improve. Yeah. But investing in those gaps is is harder, right? Like taking the time, putting in the effort and the energy into like, what's my biggest area of opportunity? What's the one priority for me to get better? And like, I will make changes. I am making changes to how I do that thing is is the hardest. It's the hardest thing to do in life, yep. right? You know, you're talking about your parenting or you're managing or you're selling or you're supporting all of those things, right? If you can honestly look at yourself and say, like, I want to make a change. It's just a matter of identifying what that change is. I often talk about accountability buddies and some people use this like ubiquitous term of mentorship or having mentors or coaches, peer mentors. Like it feels very much like a one-way street where it's like, there's the mentor and there's the mentee. Yeah. And there's just so much opportunity for like a two-way street and everyone learn, everyone can learn from everybody. Like the most junior person in sales that's never done it before can teach something to someone that's been doing it for 20 years and vice versa. Right. 100%. So like it, it is again, creating that necessary space and saying, Hey, like who, who would you really want to like work with? I'm getting better. Right. If you had to identify someone in the organization, that would be a great accountability partner for you. Who would that be? And getting them to identify 
right? Someone that they respect, they trust, and that they rely on so that that person can be like, hey, remember you said you were going to listen to two call calls today. Did you do it? And like it's that. not coming from a leader or manager or, 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 or someone within the organization that you have to do it. It's that you're choosing to do it. Yeah, that's so good. I, I love that. I, I, I don't think I've ever had that type of structure, um, but I've always felt like I've created it somehow. Yeah. Just organically, right? Like yeah. you, you end up, you're in the bullpen, so to speak. Like you end up getting people rallied around each other because you're all in the bullpen and you're all yeah. getting those all the time. And so you end up with these like really cool relationships in this, you know, two-way street and it happens organically. If, if enablement could leverage that, you got something powerful there. I think I like yeah. that. It's good. I mean, I could geek out on this forever. I know we're, I know we're right up here at time. So I want to end with one last question. I like to, I like to ask this one last question, especially given again, kind of the, the topic being economic headwinds, how is this impacting enablement? A lot of enablers experienced or not are moving into new roles because they were, you know, unfortunately on the bad end of a, a riff and now they're finding new opportunities in the middle of interviewing and all those types of things. So for the listeners out there who are currently interviewing or looking for roles, what advice would you give them as they're looking into new organizations or interviewing? What are some of the red flags that you would be looking for, for within an organization that you'd say, mm, I don't think I want to work there as an enablement professional versus what are some of the things that you would, that you would get excited to hear if you were in an interview? Yeah, I mean, you have to have a certain personality or disposition to like, I think you would have talked about this as well, to have uh, a hunger for the startup life. Yeah. And like my answer to that question is going to be up, is going to be biased towards that is that yep. when you're looking for a new role and um, if it's within enablement, because that's your background, if it's uh, within enablement, but that's not your background and you're looking for an enablement role, um, or if your history is enablement and you're looking for something else to do. It's a matter of looking for a company, and I can say this so confidently about the job that I currently have here at Any Road, is that my interview process was with most of the executive team, which is probably not that traditional for where we are. We're, stage, we're a Series B funded business. You know, um, the team was in hyper growth when I joined, and lots of people coming on board. But I met every, I met both founders, I met our CTO, I met our CMO, like, like all these people as I was interviewing, and the sense that I got was that they were um, everyone was open to growing, learning. Mm -hmm and um, collaborating, experimenting, failing forward. Um, you know, the, there's this sentiment about like, perf uh, what is it? Perfection is the enemy of productivity. Mm -hmm. And too often when we're interviewing, we try to like dig deep into what we're the best at mm. versus, right? I, I'm really good at, at a lot of things, right? Mm -hmm. I will say this very openly and it sits well with some folks and it doesn't sit well with others is like, I'm a, I'm a B minus to B plus kind of guy across everything that I do. Never really a C or a D and F, but, uh, and, and very seldom an A, but I, there's very little that I can't because being scrappy, being relatively yeah. smart and like experienced, I can get in the weeds and be successful with most things. And if you go into conversations with hiring managers, with recruiting with the idea that like you can have impact and influence across the business versus just the role that you're interviewing for, like that's a place you want to be. Yeah. Right? If you can get the sense that they want that from somebody and you feel like you can contribute that, like that's a match made in heaven. I don't want to be a specialist, right? Like I don't want to go to a, a public company where my role is new hire onboarding for oh, America. Sounds miserable. Sounds miserable, <laughs> right? Like that's, uh, that's a hard pass for me. And I just really, I, I would give everyone the advice of, right? Like find a place 
where you can you can just kind of spread your wings, you know, and dabble a lot in things that maybe aren't traditionally within your skill set, mm-hmm. but a place for you to learn, grow, find your niche and double down on it. It's awesome. Such good advice. Let yourself explore a bunch of different things in an organization. Find the organization that wants you to do that because then not even you'll get that cool experience, but you also might learn, Hey, I'm actually really passionate about this one thing. Yeah. Who knew? Who knew? Yeah. I love it. It's awesome. Brian, this has been amazing. I think the practicality that you've given us is so good. Some of those you know, like unconventional, I know we talked about this, we didn't end up actually using this verbiage today, but you definitely brought it this like, these unconventional things in enablement or, or what we have to do um, to prove our worth in, in so many ways, it sounds terrible, but it's, you know, it is the way it is. Yeah, I love it. I think there's some really good takeaways here that our, our listeners gonna, are really going to learn from. So I, I appreciate it. Thanks again for, for coming on. We might have to have you on again at some point to talk about a whole new topic. I, just a fresh perspective. I love it. Sounds good, man. Really appreciate it. Hi, right, Brian. Have a good weekend. You too. Bye.